This is Point of View with Chris Berg. Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Roughly 90 minutes, President Joe Biden is going to be his first address to a joint session of Congress. He's going to be laying out a $1.8 trillion spending plan. And yes, you're hearing me correctly because it is with a T, a $1.8 trillion spending plan. Here's what's interesting. He's calling it America's Families Plan. So a couple of things you want to note, he's, he's talking about universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds. It's going to be paid for also two-year community colleges he wants to pay for. Um, also, if you are an undocumented immigrant, you're going to get free community college here in the United States of America. That's a debate we'll have for another day. Because I want to reiterate something to you, because I'm about to share with you a clip from an interview I did earlier today. Remember, America's Families Plan. So when you think about family, what do you visualize? You know, what kind of what comes to mind for you when you think about family? I bring that up because earlier today I had an incredible conversation please go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash POV now, with an author by the name of Dr. Warren, Warren Farrell. He wrote a book called The Boy Crisis. If you were doing any research on what's happening right now with young men in America, bottom line, it's not good. So here's some of my conversation with Dr. Farrell. You suggested that uh, the Biden administration is, is putting together I think you've mentioned some form of counsel, but the counsel doesn't include boys or fathers, and yet that seems to be the biggest crisis, you know, in this demographic right now. So what's going on there? Yes, um, President Biden has created a White House um, Council on Gender Policy, a White House Gender Policy Council. So I immediately looked at the mission statements for the council and the mission statements are twofold. One is gender equity, diversity, inclusion, and the other one is racial justice. So I thought that's fine. But then as I looked more carefully, the mission was the gender equity, diversity, and inclusion was only for women and girls. It had nothing to do with boys and men. And then I said racial justice, and the racial justice was expected to be racial justice, but only for black women, black girls, minority women, minority girls. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, in the black community, the single biggest set of problems are among black males more than black females. Black males are the ones more likely to be in jail. Black males, 26 out of 27, uh, black males that are, sh uh, black people who are shot by police are black males, 26 out of 27 are black males. Um, you go to a, a city, inner city, you see the homeless population, that's a black male. You're driving while black is really driving while black male. And this is, and, and one of the single biggest problems that black males have, a lack of father involvement. All the most, all the black males in jails are black males without dads. And how can the Biden administration possibly be talking about racial justice if racial justice does not include black males who are doing so much worse than black females in almost every demographic, demographic and metric. And, um, uh, and then in gender equity, I mean, if you were to ask your son or daughter, um, you know, what are there? Are there boys? Yes. Are there girls? Yes. Are there both boys and girls? Are there just boys and just girls? Your five-year-old son or daughter would be able to say, there's both boys and girls. That somehow or other the White House doesn't see the girl, the boys. They only see the sex that is doing better and want, um, re recently and wants them to do even better. That's wonderful. 
but not also seeing that boys are having problems in more than 50 different areas and we are blind to those problems. That's not that's not a gender policy council. If you want to call it a White House Council on Women and Girls, at least you'd be honest about it. So some very important things to note here. Obviously, we'd love to know your point of view and the fact we're going to have a, a White House Council, but we're not going to include young men, boys, males within this council for racial equity and gender justice, gender equity obviously seems to be missing for me, especially like I said, please do your research, go watch that interview on what's happening right now with young men in America. And if you've got young boys, please share your point of view with me. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day. He says, Chris, I'm, I'm involved in several different, you know, young men's groups. He goes, but I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want to say to anybody that I'm involved in just men's groups because I'm afraid I'm going to come across as being a chauvinist. So there's a very interesting conversation happening, obviously, right there, right now. Now, within that conversation with Dr. Farrell, one of the things we did talk about is if you feel like, hey, it's important to include men in this conversation and boys and young boys, please contact your U.S. Senator. Please contact your U.S. Congressperson and tell them, look, we've got this White House counsel, but we're forgetting about men. And that's why I started tonight's show saying, hey, in a little bit less, little bit less than an hour and a half, President Joe Biden will do a joint session of account Congress. He's going to address them and talk about America's families plan. But we've got a council that's not going to include men. I, I help me understand that. I think it's very, very important. So please reach out to your senators and Congress people in regards to saying, let's include men and boys in this conversation. Again, go to facebook.com forward slash POV now if you want to see that conversation in its entirety. All right, recently there was a big event at the Fargo city center, I guess, city council meeting hall, if you will. Um, but it was fantastic because it talked about what's happening right now with the FM diversion project. And one of the things that uh, I think really piques my interest about this is what is it going to mean economically for our community? Now that we've got no more threat of a flood, we've got uh, now an opportunity for Bay companies to say, hey, if there's no flood threat, I think it's a great opportunity to go in the Red River Valley, the Fargo-Moorhead area, and build my business. So join us tonight, the executive director of the FM area diversion project, Joel Paulson to give us the latest on what's happening with the Diversion Project. First off, thanks so much for being in the studio. It's great to see you. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Chris. You're like our second person in about a year. So it's like, <laughs> oh, hey, I've got a warm body here. It's nice. Well, so. hopefully things start to get back to normal and, and we can get more people and more contact like so this. So this project is so big. There's so many positive things that are happening. I guess from your perspective, what's the most important thing you think our audience should know tonight about the FM Diversion Project? Well, I think, Chris, the, the main takeaway is that the project's being built right now. And with the certainty of the funding from the North Dakota legislature which just occurred um, I, I'm sure your your viewers have seen the news 435.5 million dollars brought forward usable um, probably as early as this August to be able to provide that certainty that the project will get done on time and that's really our main focus right now how can we in ensure that we get this permanent reliable flood protection in place as early as possible before we see a devastating flood event like 97 in Grand Forks, like 2009 that we fought so hard and were somewhat victorious. So. There's been so much you know, angst and consternation about this project for, for so long. One of the things you shared with us tonight before we came on the air, there's no more lawsuits, which obviously is a very, very positive thing. You brought up the 435 million. That's out of, I think it was $680 million bill, right? So it's a big chunk of change. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I want to share with you tonight, because I recently did an energy roundtable with some people out west, and we talked about how half the revenue in North Dakota right now is coming from oil and gas and essentially Western North Dakota. So 
This is a statewide show. Do you want to say anything to the people in Western North Dakota tonight? <laughs> well, and I, th there's a good point to be made here. So that 435.5 million takes the diversion project out of the Resources Trust Fund, which is a fund that the state of North Dakota has set up to fund water projects. So with us being removed from that fund, it frees up the Resources Trust Fund, which is um, financed through oil tax revenue for water projects across the entire state. So that means projects in Western North Dakota that are so needed, especially with drought conditions going on, the rural water systems, those projects can move forward because they're not behind these big projects like the uh, Mouse River project in Minot and the FM Diversion project here. And we've taken those out, the legislature has taken those out now and removed those and freed up all the revenue to go to projects across the state. One other group I want to give you a chance to speak to, because I thought it was a very moving moment at City Hall when you guys had this big event, but a gentleman, and I apologize, I don't remember his name, but... Uh, Commissioner Olson, Roger Olson. Thank yes. you, and he said, hey, I would be remiss if we don't take some time here to say thank you to the people upstream and people that are going to lose their land and their livelihood. So if you don't mind, I'd like to give you a chance to just speak to them as well. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, I was fortunate to be invited to the Upstream Coalition meeting just this week, and uh, I was able to sit down and have some very meaningful conversations. How'd that go? Uh, it went really well, uh, actually. It, it allowed me to really see a different side of things. I've been so focused on infrastructure and getting this stuff moving forward and getting the funding that um, Commissioner Olson, in, in his emotional moment there, He's absolutely right. We have to remember what we're asking of the people that we're impacting with this project. And there's a lot of people. Um, and we need to make sure that we approach um, purchasing their land rights and moving them off their property, helping them find someplace else to live. We need to do that in a very human and empathetic way. Um, and that's the only way we're going to be able to do this right. And we know at the Diversion Authority and our board members, we know we can't make it 100% whole. You can't replace a family farm. Uh, it is there, and if it's removed, it's gone. Because some of them have been maybe Homestead Act type of farms. Is Absolutely, yeah, four I mean, or five generations on some wow. of these farmsteads, and uh, that, you know that's history that uh, is, is somewhat lost, and we're cognizant of that, and we want to document that the best we can as we go through this process. Um, but I'll tell you, it is really the most difficult part about this whole project you know you talk about the financial part the technical approach it's really dealing with the property owners that are impacted by this the business owners that are impacted by this um, and how what is the best way to go about that and to be honest that you know the diversion project hasn't done it right uh, 100% of the time thank you for being but frank we're, we're talking about thousands of pieces of property yeah. and uh, you know we need to look at what we've done right and what we can change and what we can do better and that was really the focus of that meeting um, just this last Monday was how can the diversion approach this in a better way and work with the landowners in a more productive way to find resolution to this because the project's going to be built um, it's going to happen um, and so we need to provide certainty for all those folks that are impacted. Let's talk about what's happening on I-29. Uh, there's a firm in West Fargo. They got a $67 million contract to go and do some work on I-29. So good news is the money obviously staying local. Um, if you can speak to the when does this project start, what does this mean for people that are heading north and south on I-29, and where specifically is this going to be happening? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, a project just south of town, basically by, at the Horace exit, 100th Avenue, um, going to the south about five miles. And we're raising I-29 up about four to five feet. 
We're using fill from where the Red River control structure will be placed, and we're using that fill and bringing it over to elevate the, the interstate. That will allow uh, obvious transportation during uh, significant flood events that won't be impacted like it was in 2009. Um, and, and so you're right, it's a local, local contractor that got this work. Uh, so we're really excited to see industrial builders get out there and start as soon as possible. Um, I would expect within the next month, you're gonna start oh. to see some uh, traffic control being placed out there. <laughs> uh, you know, ultimately, the, the interstate will never be closed entirely. Uh, we will create a bypass uh, for five miles um, and then we'll do the work and then we'll transfer the traffic back over onto the onto the new roadway. Um, but it's, it's pretty exciting to see uh, that project get started. That's really the largest component that we've started construction on, uh, even larger than the wild rice control structure and the inlet control structure. The one thing I have to hear your answer to, and if you can answer this, you're going to probably be the most popular guy in North Dakota. So you've got... <laughs> Amazon coming in, I think they're gonna have a thousand workers. I think I've heard the number for the diversion could ultimately be 5,000 new jobs. I mean, mm -hmm. we have a big enough challenge with workforce. How in the world are y'all gonna find people to, enough people to fill these jobs? Yeah. So we struggled with that <laughs> problem say. for a long time. And uh, we chose to uh, take a, 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 a unique approach to this project. And it's called the Public-Private Partnership. And really what that means is we're bringing in a private developer and it's a consortium of a f large financial firms, large contractor firms, large engineers. They come together into certain teams and ultimately the team is responsible for bringing that workforce to the Fargo-Moorhead area and constructing uh. the channel. So we've taken that responsibility and that risk of not being able to fill those jobs and we've put it into the private market. And they've figured that out and they've priced that in and they, they have delivered us bids. Um, unfortunately, we can't talk about that today because we're still assessing them, and, uh, but very shortly we'll be able to go public with those numbers and the financial plan and, and where that all comes in. But it's really the private developer that will bring the folks here. So we said, how can we keep the folks here once they come? And so we put in workforce development initiatives into the contract with the public-private partnership. So they're required to go through registered apprenticeship programs. They're required to train, hopefully, local workforce. And what we hope then is then those, after this project is constructed, those folks stay here and those skill sets stay here and they go to work for local contractors on local projects um, and, and really help this, this community thrive. Yeah, so. 60 seconds left. I think I sort of preface this. One of the things that I think I'm most excited about is now that there's no longer the threat of flooding, you have an opportunity to really recruit some major companies to this community. So in 60 seconds, talk about what do you see for our economy in the next five to 10 years? I, I just think it's gonna be booming. Well, we saw Winnipeg go from a couple hundred thousand people to almost a million people. And that was only possible wow. because of their diversion. Uh, so we're anticipating that kind of growth once we get this project in place. Um, for years, uh, big corporations have been approaching the cities of Fargo, Moorhead, West Fargo, Horace, looking to locate here, but that threat of flooding in the floodplain because it's so broad and it encompasses our entire community has really um, been a, a significant concern for them. You take that off the table and you look at the growth and the, and the um, diversification of our community here, 
uh, we are a regional leader, and we're going to attract those big corporations. Yeah. It's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be huge. The other thing Governor Berger mentioned when we were talking about this is the fact that now some of the capital is going to free up because people aren't going to have to pay for flood insurance. I mean, there's yeah. there's so many different variables. So thanks so much for being here. We'll have you back. Okay. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. It's great to see you. Uh, all right. Stay with us. When we come back, we're going to get to your points of view. Very easy to share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back.